Again, why did I ever think this was a good idea? Welcome to the Rise and Run podcast. Join our group of Run Disney friends as we talk about running at Walt Disney World and beyond. We'll discuss recent runs, training, upcoming races, and surprise topics suggested by you, our listeners. Well, the alarm's gone off, so let's go. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Rise and Run podcast. If you're a first-time listener, we're happy that you've found us. I'm Bob. I'm here with Greg. Hey, hey, hey. Alicia. Hello. Jack. Hi. John. How you doing? And Allie. Hi, friends. Uh, you guys, good to see you here. Lexi's not with us tonight. Lexi will be back next week. Episode 46, we've got a couple of great guests with us this evening. Our featured guest is a longtime friend, Coach Chris Twiggs. Chris is here with us to talk about the Hard Rock 100. And then in the runner spotlight is an old friend also, Mandy. Mandy's going to talk about a marathon she did in the thriving metropolis of Spearfish, South Dakota. But before we get to that, how's your training going, my friends? You had a big one last weekend. You had the nine-miler. Bet you learned a little bit about hydration and nutrition on that one, huh? I had a little bit of um, some mental work that I did on my running this week. And I really didn't want to do it. And so I texted Coach Twigs and I kind of tried to get him to tell me, well, you can maybe do less. And he didn't. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and so I went out there and I, I got out there and I was texting with Alicia a little bit. And she was definitely helping me sort of through the mental I don't want us. And I got to mile eight and I remembered what Jill said on the uh, last episode. And she said, you know, the miles that you've done thus far, you got to train up to those miles to get to the miles that you came for. And that was mile for me was mile nine through 11. And, and so I just kept telling myself that over and over, these are the miles you came for. And that kind of got me through that mental tough part. But yeah, it was a, it was a slog. It was a mental slog, no, but, I but I did it. It's true. And it's a, it's a great message. It would be wonderful later in the year if we could start at like mile 17 and just, right. just do the last five, but it doesn't yeah. work that way. And you're going to see if this is your first time through, if you've done it before, you know what I'm talking about. If this is your first time through, you're going to, you tend to look at those big numbers at the end of the training period. And if you haven't done it before, they're scary, but you will get there. Nevertheless, they get to be pretty big and you start thinking, man, for me to get to 22 or 23 or 25, I'm going to be out here a while. But that's what it's going to take. You got to get those miles in. You got to do the big ones. And then we all get to have fun when we're down there for marathon weekend. And it seems it seems like every time I do, you know, I'll do 15, I'll be like, how did I, how am I going to do yeah. 17? And then yeah. I do 17 and then I'm like, how am I going to do 19? And it just happens because you are getting the training under your belt. It does work. It is a good plan. You have to stick with it, but uh, you put the effort into it and it will pay off for you. So I know I've been struggle busing <laughs> uh, quite a bit, but I am happy to say it was a struggle bus of a run. But I am back in my double digits. And now Yay. that I've, thank you, I'm very excited. Now it's like now that I've done it, I'm like, okay. I think it's not even necessarily the run this is a struggle bus, it's the heat because it yeah. it's just so been so unbearable. And unfortunately, 
I mean, I love my job. It's just I work really odd hours compared to a lot of normal jobs. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so now actually my next schedule coming up has me doing 7.30 p.m. shifts up to 4 a.m. So like trying to fit a run in when it's really nice and cool is going to start getting even harder for me. So I'm going to try and make it work, though, because I love running. Well, Jack, it's <laughs> you're over in the Orlando area. It's never nice yeah. and cool. Not not in this time of year. Yeah. It's cooler <laughs> at some times than others, but it's never. It's kind of like where I am over here. It's never nice and cool. And you hitting those ten miles, you didn't. You did it in the middle of the day, didn't you? I I had to. So unfortunately, yeah. I had to do my run at like two o'clock in the afternoon when Oof. it was like ninety something degrees out. So I picked basically what I did is my whole area that I live nearby is like um, covered in trees. That helps so a I lot. Just, I just stuck under where the trees were and then just kind of kept looping around until I was done. So yeah. No, it yeah. definitely helps a lot. <laughs> I I don't usually, in fact, I almost never do, but I went out at lunchtime today. And even though mm. it was only three miles, it's hard. It's just it's really, toasty. really tough. You got you got to, <laughs> and you got to cut the times way back. And if you have to walk, walk. But the best advice we can give you on that note is if you don't have to do that, don't do it. Get yourself yeah. out early in the morning before the sun gets to roasting. Hey, my friends, today, as we record this, was Springtime Surprise Registration Day. We had some surprises in registration, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was, It was. I don't want to say it was Goofy, because Goofy's coming up in December, but uh, who wants to talk, uh, talk through it? We all experienced it. Hey, John, why don't you talk about what happened with registration and the times back bouncing back and forth and all that? Yeah, so uh, I got on just to give give the crew a hand in case they needed somebody some help in registration. The links opened up about nine forty five. I clicked it and it said we're all sold out already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, oh god, here we go, Dopey two point Yeah, you know, Marathon two point Right. Uh, then finally, about I think it was about five to ten. Every. Everything opened up and we we got it says waiting, waiting, waiting. Then at ten oh one, we're still waiting. Then all of a sudden, boom, everyone's at an hour. Oh yeah, that was scary. It's like an hour. <laughs> wow. And then yoga was like sold out already, and it I don't think even even yeah, and like a minute and a half or something. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was very strange. Uh, and then everything's clicking down. Oh, we're at twenty minutes, at fifteen minutes. Then all of a sudden. It's back up to 35. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. was. I was yeah. like, uh-oh, what's going on here? But that didn't last long. No, but then came right back in. Came right back in. And I think, well, I'm almost certain everybody got registered. And the reason I say that is, as we sit here recording this, that 10 o'clock Eastern time at night, everything's still open, including yoga. I think yoga opened back up. Now, the 5K's been opening and closing throughout the day, I understand, throughout the evening anyway. But my comment is that the challenge is still open, and this challenge includes the 5K. Right. So that means there are 5K slots out there somewhere. And if you were, I, I know someone, one of our listeners on Facebook said they really wanted to get the 5K, they didn't get in. I would just encourage you to keep checking and... Why don't you head on over to our website, riseandrunpodcast.com, 
and look up episode 44, where we talk with Matt about his tools for learning when the races become available. And seeing that, you know, there's still all this availability left, even, you know, several hours after registration opened. I know this was part of our private chat that we all have with one another, but Bob, you hit your prediction right on the head because I remember you had said, I think it was to Lexi, I think that, hey, if you're still wavering at this point, I have a feeling that you're still going to be able to register you know, later in the day or the next day, because I don't think this is going to sell out on day one. And you were absolutely right. Now, whether, you know, the whole AP blackout dates has anything to do with it. Oh, I think it does. We we have, you know, no idea. I think it could contribute to it a little bit, but, you know, so bravo to you on on the correct prediction of it not selling out on day one, which in the last, you know, cycle of race registrations has, you know, been abnormal. Yeah, they have. Well, you know the story, Greg, a blind squirrel gets the acorn every now and then. So I'll take, I'll take credit for that. <laughs> I'll take credit in that regard. I think the H2O plus being going away too might have been a big factor. That is very true. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Took me a minute on that one. So despite the kind of strange things going on, those of us who wanted to get in got in. I'm in for the challenge, and my wife's in for the 5K. And let's see, Allie? Yep, I'm going to be doing the challenge um, with my, my running buddies, Casey and Heidi. Yeah, that'll be fun. I'll, I'll find you guys. I, it, won't be, it, yeah. it won't be hard. <laughs> yeah. It won't be hard for either one of us <laughs> to find one another. And uh, let's see. We're not sure what Lexi decided to do. She was on the fence. And Jack, she slept through it, so that doesn't. <laughs> By accident, but it's okay. <laughs> Run Disney is in my favor. <laughs> oh, okay. So, hey, and I was going through our Facebook sites and I was putting people on our race report list. And we got a good number of folks who are going to be down there for that one. So we look forward to seeing you. So the season's set now. Uh, I I think a whole, well, I think, actually I say the whole bunch of us. Ali, I think you and I are there all four weekends. We're sweeping yeah. this whole thing. And I think yeah. the rest of the gang is there for at least two, if not three. So we'll be pretty well represented this race season. So Allie, you doing the challenges all four weekends? Yeah. And I'm doing the five K's. Um, I'm doing every race this run Disney season. Proud of you. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. I mean, wow. not Castaway K, but that's because nah, I'm right. not doing it more. Right. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> Thanks guys. Yeah. I, I'm not, but that's, I think that's a good decision on my part for this year. So we'll see how it goes. Next yeah. Year. Hey, before we move on, I want to remind all of our listeners, episode 50 is not that far away. It's our Ask Us Anything episode. We're starting to get some questions. Uh, I'm looking for a new way to help you interact with us, and hopefully we'll have that in the next day or two to make it easier for you to send us voice recordings. But I have to hold off on that for right now. Uh, Meanwhile, you can email your voice recording your video recording, or just your written question to the gang at riseandrunpodcast.com. And we really, really look forward to hearing from you. We want to have fun with that episode. So we hope you can be a big part of it. Friends, reminder, we got a shirt pre-order coming up. Yeah, so we have that pre-order coming up. Uh, It's going to end October 5th. So uh, this would probably be the... Second to last week before the podcast, we can uh, let you guys know about it. 
Uh, and we're hoping to ship everything out by October 10th. So you have this stuff for a wine and dine weekend. It's going to be the unofficial uh, wardrobe choice as you're waiting in that long line at the expo for merchandise yeah. on the first day. I mean, just imagine it's like we're a whole big family because we are. Yeah, I like to think so. And uh, as a special bonus, if you order a T-shirt, uh, you're getting a Silicon Rise and Run wristband that you can wear so we can know that you're a, a Rise and Runner. And you're fashionable. <laughs> yeah, they. I'm, I'm wearing... <laughs> I'm wearing mine right here. I'll hold it up to the microphone so everybody can see it. There you go. I'm wearing mine. Oh, I'm yeah. wearing mine. It's beautiful, Bob. Thank you. Uh. <laughs> so just head on over to uh, riseandrunpodcast.com forward slash shop, and you can see our shirts. And we also have there uh, the bath bombs that we have with uh, Pam from Fluffy Fizzies. So uh, head on over. Okay. Hey, listen, we've got a whole lot of material for for you this evening. We would like to welcome back our coach, our friend of the podcast, and all-around good guy. Welcome back, Chris Twiggs. Thank you for having me. It's always fun, Chris. We're glad you make time to do this with us. Chris, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let our resident ultramarathoner, Jack, take it from here. All right. So if you don't know already, Chris Twiggs has done the Hard Rock 100-mile ultra marathon. It is a crazy race, and I just kind of want to paint a quick little picture if you're not familiar with it. So the Hard Rock 100 is not only one of the hardest ultras in the United States, but it is voted by Runner's World in 2022 as one of the hardest ultra marathons to run in the entire world. Just to kind of give you a picture, this race consists of like 33,000 feet of climbing. You have running at an average elevation of 11,000 feet with the highest parts of the race at 14,000 feet of elevation. Wow. It's a, yeah, right. I'm like, I thought my heart one was hard like Sonoma. <laughs> I'm laughing now. Uh, but it's a live course and you only have 48 hours to complete it. Um, to also give you guys an idea, this is one of those races that you do kind of have to put into a lottery system because they only choose 145 runners. And this year, only 115 completed the race. And of course, our friend Chris Twiggs is one of them. <laughs> so I'm just really excited to hear your running story. Uh, how did you come about into doing ultras? So I had, I had run a bunch of marathons and loved them, but I was, I was not getting faster. That's kind of important to note. I, I, I felt like I stalled out, which is okay, but I wasn't getting faster. And my local running club in Jacksonville, Florida started a 50K, which is kind of your entry level ultra marathon. So a 31 mile race, it happened to be on trail. And a friend of mine told me he was going to run it. And I asked him, when did you train for this ultra? And he said, I didn't train for it, but it was, um, it was around Easter. And he said, I ran the, ran the Disney marathon a few weeks ago. Well, I ran the Disney marathon a few weeks ago as well. So maybe I can do this ultra. So he and I entered this 50 K together. We stayed together the entire time. He was a group leader in our local Galloway program. I was the program director of the local Galloway program in Jacksonville at the time. And um, we, we did a run walk the entire way. And it was four loops to finish the course. And our only goal was not to get lapped by the winner. Not only did we not get lapped by the winner, but we tied for third place. Like I said, we stayed together the entire time. And I'm pretty sure he finished thinking, wow, that was cool. Never need to do that again. And I finished thinking, wow, that was cool. 
I wonder what else I can do. Neat. And soon after that, I bumped into, I, I went up and did another marathon and I bumped into a guy who was selling a, um, selling a magazine, which is I think gone now, but it was called Marathon and Beyond Magazine. And the fellow's name was Rich Benio. And I don't know Rich, but I picked up some back issues of his magazine there from his stand at the Flying Pig Marathon. And I was reading through, and one of the articles in that magazine was about, it was about him being diagnosed with a heart condition that prevented him from running longer than a half marathon. But prior to that, he had done amazing things in ultra running, amazing things. Look him up, Rich Benio, incredible stuff he accomplished in ultra running. And the point of his article was no regrets. I've done all these awesome things and now I'm content to sit and and cheer people on. And I read that and I thought, wow, I don't want to turn 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 and get diagnosed with some condition and wonder, could I have run 50 miles? Could I have run 100 miles? What could I have done? I know, I'll, I will acknowledge, I'll tell anybody, I, I've told lots of people, anybody can do a marathon. I believe that. You give them enough time, anybody can do a marathon. However, I don't think anybody can run a 100 miler. I, I don't think just everybody can do that. I, I do think um, there are some people that can't go that distance and for one reason or another. And I didn't know if I was in that category or not, but I wanted to find out by trying. I didn't want to look back on my life and wonder what could I have done. So I made the decision then and there that I was going to see how far I could go. And I signed up for a 50 miler and I didn't die. And I signed up for a hundred miler and it didn't die. And somewhere along the way, I found out about the hard rock hundred and um, hard rock is it's a graduate level. They call it a graduate level hundred miler. You have to run another hundred miler to qualify for the lottery, to get into the lottery for hard rock. And there are only a few races on that are qualifiers. Most hundred milers that are out there are considered too easy to be a qualifier for hard rock. And so, um, so the first hundred that I did was just to prove I could go that distance. It didn't get me in to hard rock, but I, every step of the way, every step I took, I didn't know if I was going to succeed, but I was willing to take the risk. And ultimately I got into hard rock and um, my first hard rock hundred was in 2005. And this year I finished my 16th consecutive hard rock hundred. Wow. That is insane. Yeah. It's impressive. And I just want to put this out there. This ain't no, like I said, no regular race. I mean, you're, I was watching some videos. I was telling about this. So I just watched a video where a guy was sliding down the mountain of snow because he couldn't catch his feet. And that's how he got to the bottom. Like, and like, then he also in the same, oh, in a different um, year, someone was getting hit by hail for miles and miles while listening to lightning and thunder around you. Cause you have no cover, nothing of that. And it's like, you're still running through streams and you're like, one minute you're going to be warm. The next minute you're going to be so freezing cold. This race is just insane, but you did it for 16 years. Yeah, it is insane. And so I was there for all those things, right? I've been there for the years. There was so much snow that you could slide, you could slide down. I know exactly, uh, exactly where that was. That was on Grant Swamp Pass and you can slide down from Grant Swamp Pass for miles. You could also do it at uh, Kroger's Canteen. Uh, There's an aid station there and there's a good long place you can slide down if there's enough snow. Um, the hailstorm that was up in Pole Creek and it hurt. It hurt oh, yeah, it does. Um, yeah. 
so yeah, so yeah, it's um, it is it is incredible. I've been so amazingly blessed to get in all those years and to have all those finishes. And I don't I don't know if I'm going to get in again ever. I hope I will. I'll put in for the lottery and we'll see what happens. But there are literally thousands of people that that want to get into this race. Um, so if I don't ever get to do it again, like Rich, looking back on all of his accomplishments, I can look back on all of these and say, wow, I'm, I got to do some pretty cool stuff. So when it's raining a little bit and I don't feel like going on my r- long run, I shouldn't text you then and, and <laughs> do if I can skip it or... <laughs> you know, somebody told me today on one of my calls, somebody said, um, something about, uh, um, He's used to a used to a football coach that would yell at him and call him a sissy if he's not running hard enough. And uh, I told him, I'm not I'm not that kind of a coach, but I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, it, potentially with you, Allie, if you gave me that call, I might tell you to suck it up. Yeah, you know, I hope so. I kind of need that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly I feel bad about complaining about running in the heat this afternoon, but we'll pass on that. <laughs> So it sounds like there's a lot of elements and there's a lot of elevation. There's a lot going on in this race. What to you was the hardest part of this race? So the hardest, physically, the hardest part of this race is always um, Mount, uh, it's always Handy's Peak, Mm -hmm. which is the 14,000 foot peak. So physically, that's the toughest spot. And coming from, I live in Florida, uh, I live at sea level. All of my training here is at sea level. And so climbing up to 14,000 feet is a challenge. And so physically, that's always the toughest. Psychologically, that's not the toughest in this direction. So Hard Rock is one big loop. And some years we go clockwise and some years we go counterclockwise. Um, So this year we went clockwise. And in this direction, Handy's is not quite as hard psychologically because it's the second day. And the second day is always stronger for me. Um, I actually hit Handy's. I was running fairly well this year. And so I actually hit Handy's at sunrise on Saturday morning. We started at 6 a.m. local time on Friday. And I was climbing Handy's as the sun was coming up at 6 a.m. the next day. And that's probably around 60 miles, something like that. And maybe a little longer. And uh, but so psychologically, the toughest part every every year regardless of the direction is always the last climb i have to do by myself so um in this direction the last climb i had to do by myself was from telluride up to uh virginia's pass or the aid station that's up there is called kroger's canteen and um and you can't get a pacer until in this race if you're under 60 which i am you can't get a pacer until about 42 miles and so in this direction, that meant the last climb I had to do by myself was from um, Telluride up to um, Kroger's Canteen. In the other direction, like last year, uh, Handy's is actually the last climb. So the, the physically toughest is also the psychologically toughest uh, going in the other direction. So that's one of the things that makes the counterclockwise direction a little bit tougher. So I'm totally a newbie for ultra marathons. Can you tell me about the pacer that you were just talking about? So you get a pacer to help you through the end. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I have this thing that I've picked up from Jeff Galloway, which is um, I'm against death. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good, so good plan. Uh, most races are against death, too. Most races don't want you to die. In fact, I would <laughs> venture to say no race. No race wants you to die. So 
most, I, I think no race wants you to die in the race. And so as a safety precaution, 100 milers typically allow you to have someone run with you, a friend run with you. Usually it's starting about the time that the sun sets, usually at nighttime. So for example, I think at Western states, for example, it varies where you, if you get to a certain aid station by a certain time, you can get a, you can't have a pacer until the next aid station. But if you get there later, you can get the pacer early because you're going into the dark. Um, the first hundred miler that I did, which was in Vermont, uh, I couldn't get a pacer until about 65 miles because that's where most people would get before the sun sets. Uh, Leadville, when I ran Leadville, uh, you can get a pacer at 50 miles because most people, the sun's going to set soon after that. Uh, Leadville was my qualifier for Hard Rock back in 2004. It's it has since been removed from the list. Leadville no longer counts as a qualifier for um, for Hard oh. Rock. And um, yeah, yeah, nothing uh, against Leadville. Leadville is a tough race, but it's just yeah. not considered um, qualifier. Uh, Hard Rock it's about 42, but if you're over 60, you can have that person from the very beginning. Um, so I had I had my son. My oldest son is 24 years old. He ran with me from about 42 to 58, somewhere in that range, uh, through the first through most of the first night. And then I had somebody else pick me up from there around 58, and he took me from 58 to 104. He took me all the way to the finish from that point mm. on. Very very cool. strong runner. Wow. Um, and, uh, and this is, so who you get as a pacer is always interesting. So for example, my, my kids like to be out there and help. So my, my other son and my daughter were there helping my parents crew, crew me, take care of me when I got to certain aid stations. Cause some of the aid stations, there's crew access, not all of them. Uh -huh. some. Um, so, uh, but my, my oldest son paced me, my wife has paced me before she wasn't out there this year, but she's paced me before. Um, and then sometimes people like Anthony, the guy that paced me for most of the race this year, he wanted to get into hard rock. He didn't get in. And mm -hmm. so he contacted me the day of the lottery. He contacted me and said, Hey, can I, can I help? Can I be there? Can I crew you? Can I pace you? And nice. I had met Anthony. Yeah. yeah. And I had met Anthony. I volunteered uh, last year at another hundred miler out in Colorado. And I got to, to know Anthony and his family. And so I was thrilled. He's a, he is, he won the hundred miler that I was volunteering at last year. He won that one. So oh, wow. I was, I was honored to, to have him pacing me and he did a fantastic job. So it's kind of a combination of either family or friends that are pacing you or people that want to get into the race, or in some cases, people that have done the race before, they just didn't get into it or didn't want to get into it this year. And they're there to help you. And the pacer's job is to, they can't carry your stuff for you, but the pacer's job is to stay with you, keep you awake, uh, make sure you're eating. And then keep you safe. If you were to fall, get injured, whatever, there's somebody right there with you because they're fresh, relatively speaking. And, uh, you know, at 90 miles, I'm wasted. You're not, right? I'm not fresh. Right. Never done anything like this, Chris. I don't think I ever will. But I'm thinking about other times in my life where I've been challenged to stay awake for long periods and I always found it toughest about an hour or two before dawn. Because once the sun comes back up, it pumps a little life back into me. Did you experience something like that? How do you do this going through the nighttime and into the next day? Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right, Bob. Um, the hardest part is always right before dawn. Uh, my lowest point, uh, 
you know, so I talked about the hardest part physically, the hardest part emotionally or psychologically. Um, but there, there is whatever else there is spiritually, I don't know. Uh, but, but there's definitely something very hard about getting through that night. And when the sun comes up on the second day, I come alive. Now, I did not negative split this race, but I have, I have in the past, I have actually run the second 50 miles, 50 miles faster than the first 50 miles at Hard Rock. Um, and the reason that's possible is because when the sun comes up, I, I really get a lot of energy. Not everybody does, but I get a lot of energy. Um, Anthony told me at one point, I think after we were done, Anthony told me we had passed something like 38 or 40 runners uh, in the time that we were together. So, wow. Wow. um, yeah, yeah. So 115 people finished. I was 40. You know, what was I? I don't even know what, what number I was. Uh, regardless, I it's remarkable. Yeah. So I, so I basically cut in half the field. Basically, if I passed almost 40 runners, basically half the people that were in front of me on, on, you know, late, uh, late Friday night, early Saturday morning, I passed half of those people by the finish line. Um, and that's because when the sun comes up, yeah, I get a lot of energy. I get a lot of good. Now, thankfully I finished before the sunset the second day. Right. Um, some, some people you've got 48 hours. So the last few finishers didn't finish until almost 6am on Sunday. So they had to go through a whole second night. And so they've got to go through that whole cycle again. And, um, and that's rough. And I've done that. I've had one race where I had to go through two nights, a different hundred. I had to go through two nights and it's, it, the second night is even worse than the first. Oh, I got to believe that. There is one person that finished two minutes before cutoff. Yeah. That must have been insane. It's fun. So there's a golden hour, right? The last mm -hmm. hour before uh, before the cutoff. It's really fun to be there for that hour. So I finished, went back to, um, to the, the hotel where I was staying, slept for several hours. And, and my daughter and I actually got up and walked over to the finish together and for that golden hour to watch the last few runners come in. And it's exciting. It's thrilling to be there, especially when the people that you're looking for finish. What's what's heartbreaking is when they miss it by Ooh. two minutes instead yeah. of two And I've, I've been there for that. And that's really heartbreaking to know they've gone that whole wow. distance and they won't be recorded wow. as a finisher. Um, wow. But yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I remember leading up to this race, you had mentioned on the customized training calls that you had a goal for this particular year of finishing under 40 hours. I think you what finished in 38 and change or something like that, which again is remarkable. Is there any significance to the idea of wanting to finish under 40 in terms of setting that time goal for yourself? Yeah, well, for sure, for sure. Um, I mean, first of all, you know, it's, it's the fact that when you when you list or, or tell somebody your finish time, it gets to start with a three instead of starting with a four. So there's well, that. That's cool. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, and that's true. We, we know that from, from half marathons and, and marathons yep. and five K's, you know, even if you're only a second under that next minute or that next hour, it's nice to start with that. Yep. Number. So there's that. Um, but also 40 hours is usually really close to sunset on Saturday night. And, uh, so there's this thing about being able to finish without a headlamp. Now, everyone uses a headlamp, even the winners use a headlamp the first, the first night, because everybody has to go into the first night, but, um, but it's nice to not have to have that headlamp the second night. And so that was, 
uh, that was part of it is knowing that if I finish under 40, I was going to have that opportunity. And it had been, I had done this a bunch of times. This was my 16th time. And only two of my previous finishes were under 40 hours. And last year I had a very slow time. In fact, I think last year was my slowest time. But last year I also finished with a good friend who is um, is uh, 20 years older than me. And he was getting his 10th hard rock finish. He also has 20 Western States finishes. Western States was the first trail hundred in the U.S. And so he's the first person uh, to get 20 Westerns and 10 um, hard rocks. And so I was, I was honored to finish with him. And, and he and I had talked about it. We, we trained together. He's from San Diego. I'm from Florida. So we have this flatlander near the ocean type of camaraderie. And so we had talked about finishing together. And then we just found each other close to each other with about 20 miles to go and decided, yeah, let's, let's stick together. So time was much, much slower last year because I, I stuck with Scotty and, uh, and I, if Scotty listens to this, he won't, he'll admit, yeah, it was slower because he was going slower, but I knew, I knew that I had it in me to go faster this year. And I really wanted to prove it to myself that I could get back under that spot. So this was my third fastest time. Uh, out of all my 16 finishes, and it's only third fastest by a few minutes. Uh, it would, it's all, it was almost my second fastest, and this is oh, the wow. longest it's been. They added some distance yeah. here, so this is the longest the course has been, too. Yeah, they snuck some miles in on you. They did. Okay, so you said this was uh, your third fastest time. Is that the same direction, or which would you consider your fastest time? Because I know this is a race that it's clockwise and counterclockwise. So how does that go for you when you say that? Yeah, that's it. That it's a really good question. So my, uh, my second fastest time was actually in the other direction. Um, and the, uh, in the other, the other direction is considered the slower direction. Now it's the same, it's the same mountains, the same trails. It's just a question of what you're going up versus what you're going down. Um, but like I mentioned earlier, the, uh, Handy's peak, it's a steeper, harder climb when you get it earlier in the race coming the other direction. So um, my, my other 38-hour finish was going the other direction, was counterclockwise. My fastest finish was actually in the, in the 35 time frame, although it was almost 36 hours. Oh, wow. But it was just, yeah, under, just under 36 hours. But that's cake. I get to start with a 35. That, that's 35. That's right. right? Yep, exactly. So, um, so that was my fastest. My fastest year was the same direction as this year. Uh, clockwise and it was uh 35 and change a, lo- a lot of change and that was but that was in 2010 so uh, i don't know about you guys but i'm 12 years older now than i was <laughs> in 2010 um <laughs> and I, I can also yeah there you go and i can also <laughs> tell you that the 12 years that in, any 12 years oh, yeah. after you're 40 yeah, it's a lot harder on your body than any twelve years before you're forty. Amen. So, um, yeah, right. So the fact that I could go, uh, th- the fact that I could go, th- you know, this fast since then is a big, you know, big accomplishment for me. Well, you've you've recently won a marathon, haven't you? Or, or what was it you won? <laughs> it was a ten ago. mile race. Ten miles. It was okay. a ten mile race. Yeah, if we were oh, just ten miles. Oh, well, cut now. cut this yeah. out then. Let's edit this out. It's only ten. I didn't. <laughs> I if it, yeah, if we were flat fishing, out one in a marathon by now. I did. I did win a 10 mile race. Um, but you, you know, winning a race is, 
winning a race is different, right? You don't control who else shows up. No, to I a get race. that. I, I do, but but unless unless you were the only one there, no, that's still you're right. mighty impressive. No. Bob, Bob, I mean, you make a good point, and this is why. Um, this is why, you know, as Greg said, you know, I had put it out there that I had this goal of going under 40 because I saw that, you know, I had, I got to run Boston this year and I just barely missed, uh, requalifying at Boston. And then a few weeks later, I did requalify for Boston at another marathon. And then I did win that 10 mile race. And so I've been, I've been running well. And in fact, this is probably the best that I've run in the last 12 years, to be honest with you. So I, I, yeah. So I really did feel like I had it, I had it in me to do it. And I'm glad, I'm glad that I pushed. I'm glad that I had the support there that I had Anthony with me to, to pull me along, you know, and to encourage me uh, over those last many miles. And, um, and honestly, there's part, when you've got a goal, when you've got a goal and you tell people about it, ooh, now people are paying oh, yeah. attention. Oh, yeah. You know? Now yeah. people are watching. And, um, and so if you keep your goal secret and you don't hit your goal, nobody else knows, which, okay, good. So you're not embarrassed. But at the same time, nobody's there to support you yep. and nobody's there to, mm. to commiserate. And also, if you do hit your goal, nobody really knows to celebrate because they didn't really know that that was your goal. Right. So I made sure people knew. I let people know that, that was my goal was to go. You sure did. I'm really, you sure I'm did. really happy that I did that. And I'm also acutely aware that I've got so many people paying attention to what I'm doing now. Oh, yeah. that I, and, and 12 years ago, I didn't have that. You know, 12 years ago, uh, I, I didn't have people that I was coaching that were following me on Strava that were talking about it on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And so um, I, I want to be a good, a good example. That doesn't mean I oh, have yeah. to win races, but that means I have to make sure that I'm doing my best when I'm, when I say that I'm going to do my best. See, I was thinking you've had your best year. That kind of goes along with the time we started this podcast. You think that's coincidental? Or? <laughs> Can't be a coincidence. Can't be a coincidence. <laughs> It's great. I just want to say, Chris, first of all, like I just, you inspire me in so many ways. This race is like a really big dream race of mine ever since I found it like two years ago. And I know I got like a long way coming, but it just, it's so good to hear everybody's stories and hearing your story firsthand or not firsthand, but you know what I mean? Um, But I'm just curious, you never said exactly why you chose this race in the first place. And, but you, I'm, what I'm more curious about is the fact that you've done it 16 years straight. What is it about this very specific race that makes you keep coming back every single time? Yeah. So great, great questions. I fell in love with Ure Colorado in 1998 was the first time that I went to Uray. And the reason I went to Uray, Colorado is that my wife's great grandmother was born at the Camp Bird Mine, which is just outside of Uray. Uh, her father was a carpenter at the mine. He immigrated from Sweden. And my wife's great grandmother, uh, her name was Ruth, uh, Ruth maintained a homestead there in Uray her whole life. And when 
she died, I had not yet visited Uray. I felt horrible that I had not yet visited. Um, and our oldest son had, had been born that year in January of 98. And I told my wife, I want to go. I want to go to Uray this summer. I want, I want to take our son. I want to take Wesley. And I want him to grow up as, you know, going to Uray every summer, just like my wife went to Uray every summer to visit her great-grandmother, just like my mother-in-law went to Uray every summer to, to visit her grandmother um, and, and all of that. So I started going out there because of the family connection. And it just so happens that the Hard Rock 100 goes, it, it runs right past the Camp Bird Mine on the way either in or out of Uray, depending on the direction it's going that year. And so the story I told earlier about deciding I was going to try to run a hundred miler, when I found out there was a hundred miler that goes through Uray, I was like, well, I've got to do that. I didn't know that hard rock was hard rock. I didn't know. I mean, it's like saying it's, it's honestly, it's like saying I'm going to play in that football game and not knowing you're talking about the Super Bowl. Just yeah. thinking you're talking about yeah. and right? now we know where Jack gets the whole not researching the elevation thing. The two of your kindred yeah. spirits. Well, now so I but but so I started going to, to Uray in 1998. I ran my first hard rock in 2005. So I knew I knew the okay. San Juan Mountains in Colorado. Um, I knew those trails, and by the time I did my first hard rock, I had been over every inch of it. In fact, the year before, in 2004, I had paced somebody for uh, for 42 miles, the last 42 miles of the race. So, uh, but the reason I chose hard rock was because it goes through the little town in Colorado that's my favorite place in the world, uh, Uray, Colorado. It's absolutely my favorite place. Now, I love, I'm a Floridian, and I'll never not be a Floridian, but I love Uray, and I've gone out there every summer since 1998. And so that's why I chose Hard Rock. What keeps me going back? The family, the people. Got it. Um, not just my physical family, not no, just my, 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 you know, my kids and my wife and my in-laws now have the house that, um, that was on, that's on the land that where, um, where my wife's grandmother had the house. Um, so there's that, but there are, as you mentioned, Jack, there are only 145 people that do this race. And there are a bunch of us that have done it a bunch of times. Now there are thousands that try to get in. But in, 1990, in, in, in 2005, the first time I did it, there weren't quite as many people trying to get in. It was a lot easier. And I have friends that have done this race 10 times. I have a friend that's done it. I, I have friends that have done it 20 times. I have one friend that's done it 26 times, um, which is the most of anybody. And being out there and being with these people that have been on those trails, that have done those miles, that have climbed those climbs, being with people that have been on those snow slopes in July sliding down that you were talking about, being with people that were in that hailstorm that you were talking about, or that have been in the lightning storm. I can talk about that unbelievable lightning storm from 1998 that I was stuck in up high on the last climb with my son and I thought we were going to die. And anybody who was out there in, 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 in 2018, they know exactly what I was talking about. So um, having that connection, that's what keeps bringing me back. And even if I don't get into the race next year, I will be in the San Juans in the summer and I will be there to help people and to talk to them about what I know 
and to try to encourage them to complete this uh, this run. And Jack, when you get in, I don't know if it's going to be in two years or in five years or in 20 years, but I hope that I'm there. I plan to be there so that I can cheer you on and give you advice and help you out because that's our responsibility as hard rockers. It's our responsibility to try to help people to come behind us to accomplish this goal because there's something transformative. I mean, we yes. know, those of you... I, I don't know if all of you have done a marathon, but those of you that have done a marathon, you know how transformative it is to run a marathon. Mm -hmm. I mean, for crying out loud, the first time you did a 5K, there's this lightning, you know, this this this, uh, this bulb, you know, light bulb that goes off. It's like, oh, wow, there's this whole other world. And so um, hard rock is transformative. I mean, who I am for the rest of my life is in some way defined by hard rock. And I don't express that daily when I'm coaching, I don't express that daily when I'm doing other things, but it's, it's, it's a part of me that nobody can take away. Sure. And, um, and so I feel that responsibility to help others and to hope that they can accomplish this as well and, um, and be transformed by it. That's amazing. I don't know about you guys, but it's like, I feel like every runner regardless of what distance you have is when you go through that finish line and you just know that you accomplished something so crazy that you start crying. Yeah. And that's something that you will always remember for the, your entire life. And even when I watch these videos, especially like I just watched two videos for hard rock 100. I about cried because you could just see their journey set in like just one millisecond. And if you don't know this race, you don't run through a finish line, you run to a rock. And when you get there, you kneel down and you kiss it. And like, it's just <laughs> <Yeah>. so beautiful. <laughs> it's really very, very cool. You kiss the rock. And, um, and also there's a shoot. They didn't, when I started, they didn't have this, but now there's this shoot, this finishing shoot that you run down and on both sides of the finishing shoot are flags and they're flags from every state and every country that's represented in the race. And cool. what's, what's really neat is there, there, there are only two Floridians have ever finished hard rock. Wow. Um, wow. And the first one, he, he was done. He hadn't, he didn't finish after I started. So every year um, that I've done it, I've been the only one finishing uh, the only Floridian and, and to be going down that finishing shoot and see that Florida flag and know that it's flying there because of me is, I mean, that's pretty that's darn cool. awesome. Thank yeah. you, Chris. You're trying to make me cry. Floridian, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, this has been so incredibly inspiring and um i know you said that you will be there for all of the hard rock 100 participants no matter if you're running or not um in years to come but do you have any advice for people who are wanting to start in ultras not necessarily hard rock right alicia but yes. just start into Correct. ultras yeah because like yeah. you said it's not going to be necessarily not everybody can do a hundred miles, but those, those shorter, shorter, I say in quotations, because mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. it's still an ultra, um, mm -hmm. but those shorter ultras, um, do you have any advice for um, myself particularly, but our listeners of how we could get started with that? Yeah, for sure. Um, the first thing is, is go to one, go to an ultra, um, especially if it's a trail ultra. I mean, Hard Rock's a trail um, and, and maybe, maybe what you're interested in is not a trail race. Maybe you want to do, there are lots of road ultras, um, bad water, uh, a lot, some people have heard of bad water, 135. That's a road race. Um, that's, it's an ultra, it's a very long ultra, but it's, it's on the road. It's not on trail. 
Um, if if road ultras are your thing, go to a road ultra. If trail ultras are your thing, go to a trail ultra. But go to one, volunteer, see what you can do to help. And you want to be there at the aid stations when you find out, here are the things that people need. Here are the things that people are asking for. Here are the the problems that people are having and be at the finish line so that you can see one of the most inspiring things is see who finishes these things. And you'll see people and you're like, wait a minute, I'm in better shape than that person is. And that'll give you some hope, right? When you see people and you think, well, I'm in better shape than that person is that person just finished this thing. You realize, wow, I can do this too. That's something I love about ultra runners. Ultra runners are just regular people. They look way more like regular people. You look at the first 140 people that finish any marathon and they don't look like the rest of us, right? right, right. They're all legs and lungs, right? Legs and lungs is all they are. And God bless them. And they're using their, their, their God-given talents to oh, do yeah. this stuff. But, but it's hard for the rest of us to relate, but you look at the average ultra runner and for crying out loud, it's just regular folks. You know, you're like, that guy's got yeah. a beer belly. How is he doing that? Or God, that woman is breastfeeding <laughs> at the aid stations and she's doing this. And it all happened, wow. right? It's I've all heard happened, that. right? It's Amazing. true. It's absolutely true. And so they're regular people. But what makes an ultra different is there is a much more challenging psychological element to it. It's, it's. I mean, even a, even a 5K, there's a lot of psychological elements to it. But you could finish a 5K and hate every second of it. You can't finish an ultra and hate every second of it. You'll mm-hmm. quit before, before you do mm-hmm. that. So the fact that you get to the point where you want to quit, you think about quitting, but you don't quit. That's an awesome place to be. And, and, and you might get to that in a half marathon. You might get to that in a marathon. You will definitely get to that in an ultra. And so go, if you, if you have an interest in doing an ultra marathon, go to one volunteer, be there, be in that environment and soak up everything you can about it. Um, and then when you decide which one you want to do, if it's hard rock, for example, get there. Get out there and learn everything you can about it. I mean, I know that it's, you know, there's the joke about Jack never looking at, at the elevation or anything like that of a race. No, that's true. You would you would die if you didn't know what was coming up next at Hard Rock. I mean, you have to know. You have to know because you have to be prepared. You have to be prepared for the climbs. You have to be prepared for the descents. You have to be prepared for the weather and for everything else. And so course knowledge is, I really believe course knowledge is absolute key. So you first need your umbrella on, hat. Yes, I needed my, oh my God, they oh, yeah, got right. my umbrella hat. Oh my gosh, that umbrella hat. I mean, I I thought it was just kind of cute. And the first time I put it on this year, it was kind of a joke. I, it was, I was desperate for that thing because I'd left my regular <laughs> hat. Yeah with my daughter and I was going faster than she's used to me going. She's used to me, uh, leaving. If I'm going in this direction, she's used to me leaving your in the dark and arriving at, um, grouse gulch in the daylight. Well, grouse gulch is gone. They replaced it with a new aid station called animus forks. And I got there in the middle of the night and she's used to me being there at daylight. And so it didn't even occur to her to give him, give me my hat. And I didn't even think to ask for my hat. So thank God I had my yeah. Mickey Mouse umbrella hat that I yeah. could take a shoelace and tie it on around my chin so that I had something to protect me from the shade. The real reason I actually carry that, I've carried it for years. The real reason I carry that is because of that hailstorm oh, that yeah. I was talking about earlier. Yep. Um, because a regular hat, hail, you can still feel through a regular hat. Yeah. But an umbrella hat, you can't feel the hail. 
right? Because it's held, it's it's like it's held up above. So that's why I had it. I thought I was really clever for having that umbrella hat. But um, but yeah, it's it's there. Uh, it's there because you know I, I'm glad it was there because I was able to keep the sun off me. Because you're uh, so yeah, familiar but, with what it is. Yeah, you've done the research because you've done the races. I knew I was you, prepared, right? I was prepared. Yeah. So it's de- it's vital that you do some research and that you're prepared. But um, yeah, if anybody is interested in doing an ultra, well, obviously the very first thing you should do is sign up for Galloway Customized Training with Chris Twig. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. yeah. I can vouch, vouch for you. <laughs> <laughs> but, then, um, but then, yeah, get out there and volunteer and become a part of the ultra running community. You don't have to have finished an ultra yet to be a part of the community because every race needs volunteers and ultra runs especially need volunteers. So get out there and become a part of the community and you'll learn so much just from seeing what people are doing. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, joining the Galloway program, customized training, because I actually wanted to actually bring this back to the Galloway method. Obviously, this is a behemoth of a race, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, like when we talked to Adam and and the gang about, you know, the Keys 100, that is a mighty accomplishment. Now take 100 miles and add all this elevation and terrain and, and everything like that. From your perspective, how how does the Galloway method work for you in terms of handling not only an ultra, but also a trail with this massive elevation? Like, you know, in terms of like, you know, what run-walk ratios are you using? Do you keep that consistent throughout the entire race? Is there certain ratios for, you know, ascending and, you know, others for descending? What is the the strategy when it comes to run walk run? Yeah, that's a that's a really really good question. So um, with uh, with Adam and Tony and Jamie doing the uh, the hundred down in in the Keys, that's a flat race and it's a road race, and so you can come up with a run walk ratio that is consistent throughout that race, and they did pretty well with that. You know, and I'm, I'm looking forward, they're going back. I'm looking forward to see how it goes as, as they go back for that. And I've had a friend who, uh, who won the Keys 100 several years ago and had a consistent run-walk-run ratio. In fact, he's, a, uh, he's, he's not only a Galloway runner, but he's a Disney pacer. Uh, Mark Burgett, who always co-paces with me for 145 for the half marathons. He, um, you know, he, he won the Keys one year using a consistent run-walk ratio. That's possible on a road course and it's possible on a flat course. It's hard on a road course that's hilly and it is impossible on a trail course that's hilly. And so anybody who's running trail runs, my recommendation to them is you've got to let the terrain dictate your run walk. If you've got something that's relatively flat, then yeah, hit a, hit a know what your ratio is going to be and hit that ratio on the flat. But if you are climbing, I mean, for crying out loud, the 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 biggest climb we have at Hard Rock is more than a vertical mile. Yeah, I mean, crazy. you are going you're going from seven thousand eight hundred feet in your ray, at the biggest climb in the other direction, seven thousand eight hundred feet in your ray, all the way up to thirteen thousand feet at Kroger's Canteen. Holy smokes! Um, yeah, that's one climb. That's that's one climb. There's no descent in between those two spots. You're going up. Wow. Over. So in this direction, you go from 7,800 up to 14,000, but you do, you go to 13 and then you come down to like 10,5 and then you go up to like 12 and then you go down a bit. So it's, it's more gradual. 
but you, but still, I mean, the range is astronomical. And so there's no way that you can do a, a run walk going up those climbs. And so you just have to hike. You just hike on the ups and you try to get into a good rhythm. You don't stop. You just try to get into a good rhythm on the hike, make sure you're breathing well and, and you go up. And then on the downhills, um, most of the downhills, there are, they're either single track trail where there's some spots where it levels out for a few seconds. And so you can run hard down and then you catch your breath and you walk when it flattens out and then you run hard down and, you, and all of that. Um, and then there are a few spots that are relatively flat and it's important on those spots that are relatively flat that you know, here's my go-to ratio. And, and my go-to is I run for a count of 20 and I walk for a count of 20 and I just do 20 and 20 back and forth. And I don't have it. Don't have a timer with me. I don't have anything set on my watch. Just when I get to something that I know is runnable, but it's not, it's not downhill. So I'm not going to run continuously. I just, I go into 2020 and it's really important that I hold myself to that. And I tell my pacers, I want to be held to that. I want to do, you know, I want to do run walk when I get to that. And, um, there's a one stretch that Anthony had me, had me running more than I, I felt like at the time, but he reminded me, he's like, dude, you have a goal. This is your plan. I'm going to make you stick to your plan. And he, he got me to run. And so when I started walking along on that stretch between, Burroughs Park and Sherman Aid Station. He's like, oh, we're going to run. And sometimes it was going to run for, tw- for a count of 20. Sometimes it's, we're going to run to that rock. So you run to the rock and you walk and then you run to the rock. So it's still the run walk ratio, the run rock, run walk method is still very important, but you can't be consistent with it. You can't be a stickler for it on a hilly trail course. And I, I didn't know that until I did my first 50 mile run that 50k that i did my first ultra was trail but it was flat it was here in florida and so we did stick to a regular ratio but the first 50 mile or actually i've only ever done one 50 mile race i've done like 20 hundred miles but only done uh, 150 but um, that 50 that i did was in vermont and it was on ski slopes and so i had a i had a timer with me and it beeped and i'm, ha- I'm climbing up a ski slope and i just laughed i'm like what was i thinking <laughs> going up yeah. this you know, why, yeah. what did I think I was going to be able to run? And then going down, it beeps at you to walk and you're scraping. You ever try to run down a ski slope? You're not going to stop and walk going down that thing. You hurt uh-uh. yourself. You're so, um, I learned in that 50 miler, I learned you've got to adapt. You've got to let the terrain dictate your run walk ratio on the trails. You kind of, I don't want to say glossed over, but you kind of said something for granted. And I think about it. You're climbing. First of all, there's about 10 kilometers total climb in this thing. It's about six miles, roughly. Incredible. Yeah. But when you're talking about climbing at 10, 12, 14,000 feet, there's no daggum oxygen up there. <laughs> or, that's not true. Okay. I know it's there. But for, I don't know how you do that, Chris. You're up above the tree line. I've only, I've only experienced it once when I was a young man. I, I know, and I've told you this before, you know, the federal aviation regulations. If you're a pilot, you have to be on supplemental oxygen up there. So how in the world from Jacksonville, Florida, do you train for this? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. It really is. So, um, I have, I have two, two things that work for me. One is the fact that I work from home 
right? I work off my computer. I can work wherever I am. And so I can travel to Colorado, which I did this year in May, and I can train on those mountains. So from May through July, I'm, I'm a Floridian because my address is here and I vote here and I pay taxes here, but I live in Colorado from May until July when I can. Um, this is the longest I've, I've spent out there this year. And that's because I had a, an international trip that I took in the middle of, of the summer. And so I was away, but, um, but for the most part, I'm, I try to get out there six weeks before the race, at least. And physiologically, what happens is your, um, your, your body produces more red blood cells during that time that you're at altitude yeah, it does. and the red blood cells are what your body uses to carry oxygen to the muscles. Um, so if you're there long enough, then your body, your Floridian body can adapt and become a, a Colorado body and you can become as efficient as those suckers are, um, at altitude. Now they don't live at 14,000, right? But, right. um, but at least if I'm acclimated to 7,800, which is where Uray is, I've got a big advantage over just coming straight from out from sea level. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is there are devices that you can use. And a few years ago, I finally bit the bullet and bought one. There are devices that you can use to simulate altitude and to simulate altitude. When you simulate altitude, you, um, you spur on the production of those red blood cells and you can do that at sea level and so there's a company that is a sponsor of hard rock um, that is called hypoxico and they make these things called intermittent hypoxic trainers and it's this machine that basically reduces the amount of oxygen in the air that's coming through a tube into a mask and you can put that on your on yourself and you can, some people will train with it. I go to a higher altitude simulated um, and don't train, but for 90 minutes, uh, 90 minutes a night, I would use this thing uh, on for five minutes, off for four minutes. It deprives my body of oxygen, not completely, but no, no, a understand. bit You're right. enough, to, enough to stimulate the production of red blood cells. The reason I do that, even though I'm going to be out there long enough for my body to produce them naturally, the reason I do that um, before I go is it allows me when I get to Colorado, it allows me to train as if I've already been there. So not only am I acclimated by race day, but I'm acclimated by training day so that when I get there, I can climb those climbs and I can do those runs and I can get out on those trails and I can train them because the, the oxygen doesn't do anything for your, your build, doesn't build your muscles. It just increases your red blood cells. Right. So, wow. um, but because I've got the more red blood cells, I can get out and train harder and I can get the climbing muscles. Cause as a Floridian, not only do not have the red blood cells, I don't have the climbing muscles. Yeah. You know, I'm not, yeah. I don't have that in my, my glutes and my quads are not trained to go up and down mountains. Cause I don't have mountains here. And so even though I've done it before, by the time, July rolls around. I don't still have it from the previous July. Sure. So getting out there early enough to train on those uh, hills and mountains helps a lot. When I started doing hard rock, I was a full-time college professor and I had the summers off. And so I could go out there and I could be there all summer and train. And so that allowed me to finish it when I was younger. Um, now I, I work from home as a coach. And so I have that same ability. But the truth is now a lot of us have that ability, right? Thanks to COVID. Yeah, somewhat. Uh, there are tons of people that are working from home that weren't working from home before. And so I honestly, you know, I mean, 
you know, we, we, we don't like all the lemons that we were given the last couple of years, but we might as well drink the lemonade. And, um, and part of that lemonade is the ability to travel more and because we're working from home. And so, uh, so I think a lot more people are able to do mountainous races now than could before because they can afford the time to go and, and get out on those trails and be up in those elevations. So you talked about a lot of the challenges and and how hard it is and how, you know, people, um, getting hurt on the course. Um, but I'm curious, what were your favorite parts of the race and what did it look like at, you know, that high elevation going through during sunrise and what, what were some of the things that you'll, you'll take with you forever? Yeah, there, there are so many beautiful, beautiful, I mean, this is the reason you do it, right? I and mean, you're out in the middle of just the most beautiful place in the world and you're seeing things that that most people will never see um sunrise on handy's peak was incredible i mean because there were people ahead of me i didn't win this race right there were people ahead of me and as the sun was coming up to see the silhouettes of other climbers because handy's you're way you're way above tree line there right tree line's down around twelve thousand feet you're up at fourteen thousand feet so you're you're way above tree line and to see the people spread out in the course ahead of you uh, as the sun is coming up, is just gorgeous. And as the sun is coming up, if you look to the west, you can see the sun catching the peaks off to the west, and it's just you know beautiful. And you you get the opposite. Even at sunset, you get the opposite, right? You get the sun setting behind you in the west as you're hiking east, and you can see the last little bit of the sun glinting off the peaks. Um, it's just gorgeous. Wildlife out there is incredible. Um, some years, this year I didn't, but some years I've seen bighorn sheep and I've seen families of mountain goats um, and I've seen elk and moose all during the race. Um, so it, it really is beautiful, really is incredible. Um, I'll never forget the first year I did hard rock in that same spot where I was, I was climbing handies this year. Uh, that same, my first year, 2005, I was going the other direction as the sun was setting the first night. And I remember I'm, I'm hiking along and I'm heading toward the east. Sorry, heading toward the west. And a, a runner ahead of me turned and he pointed behind me. And so I turned to look. And because the sun was setting in the west, there was, they call it an alpen glow, this, um, which is the glow of the last rays of the sun glinting off of the snow topped peaks behind you. And it's just. Wow. I mean, it takes your breath away. It takes your breath away. I mean, and literally, you're at 14,000 yeah. feet. <laughs> so um, that's, that's definitely uh, one of the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful things um, is just being there in nature. And, and that stuff happens. It's happening now. It happened tonight. It'll happen tomorrow. And there will be people out there to see it. And I only get to see it for that one bit of time in the summer when I'm out there in Colorado. But I miss it year round. So... This race is also known for injuries due to the elements, due to the extremely technical. And when I mean technical, is like the most technical terrain I've ever seen for an ultra marathon. And it's no wonder something may have happened on this one for you. Do you want to tell yeah. us the story? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so a few years ago, my family actually gave me there's a joke that goes around some, I'm sure some of you have, have, um, have had family members say stuff like this to you about needing to, to wrap you in bubble wrap, uh, at a certain point, my family actually gave me a bubble wrap suit 
one year um, because I am, I'm pretty injury prone and I often go into hard rock with some sort of an injury before it ever happens. This year I was perfectly healthy going into hard rock. Thankfully I had nothing wrong with me, but um, I was moving very fast toward the end of the race relative to the rest of the race. Um, but I was, I was pushing 10 minute pace for the last few miles, not consistently, but in spurts, which is fast at the end of a hundred miler. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so I was pushing hard. The reason I was pushing hard was because I wanted to get, I, I wanted to get in before the sunset. That was important to me. And I, there were other runners around me which is not always the case, but there were, because there are a bunch of people trying to get in before the sunset. And so I was basically trying to catch people and there are people trying to catch me. And about a mile and a half from the finish line, I don't know if a toe caught a rock or a root or something, but I tripped and I fell flat on my face. And um, I, like a lot of people, like most of the runners out there, I use trekking poles. And I only use trekking poles on the climbs. I don't use them on the descents. Some people use them on the descents as well, but I only use them on the climbs. And so when I'm descending or on flats, I stow the poles on my vest. I, I wear an ultimate direction vest. And so the poles were one on my left, one on my right, stowed on the vest. And when I fell face first, the handle of the pole that was on my right side was pressed right into my ribs and I, I cracked a rib good. And, um, thankfully it was in the last mile and a half and not in the first mile and a half of the race. And, um, so I took a minute, but I got up and Anthony asked me if I was okay. Yeah. And then he said, all right, we can just walk. It's okay. And so I'm walking and then I heard a voice behind me. And I'm like, oh no, oh heck no, I'm not letting somebody catch me. <laughs> so I started running again. So I, it did not stop me. It did not slow me down more than, than a few seconds there when I really hit, but, um, I still feel it. I mean, in the morning, mostly in the morning, I feel it when I'm getting up. Cause you know, you're, you're lying down in bed and you kind of have to do that sort of crunch. The one crunch you do yeah. ever, <laughs> you know, I never do crunches, but one crunch you do all, all day is to get up out of bed. I, I still feel it then. Um, but it was, it was really, um, it was really bad uh, afterwards. So thankfully that was the worst of it and it happened very late in the race. Um, but yeah, nobody's ever died during hard rock so far. That's really good. Um, I have a friend that was struck by lightning one year. That was a lot worse wow. than what? what I had to go through. Yeah, yeah. he lived. He's fine. Yeah. We call him Sparky. <laughs> but uh but he's alive um one year killian jornet who uh who won mm-hmm. the race this year uh one year he dislocated his shoulder about oh. 12 miles into the race oh man and he he um he got to an aid station popped it back into the socket he put it in the they put it in the sling and he went on to win the race holy cow uh so wow um I don't know if that tells you that hard rockers aren't all that smart or if it tells you that hard rockers are tough or Pretty some combination tough. of the two. Yeah. Okay. I'll yeah. go along with that. Yeah. Well, I do have one final question. Earlier, you kind of mentioned at the beginning that when you began ultras, it just kind of started with one distance and it kept growing and growing and growing. And now that you've done 16 hard rocks, ultra runners, I feel like there's something special and quirky and weird about us. 
but we love to learn what our limits are and always test the boundaries. And I'm wondering, is there any more you can do? Have you met your limit? Oh, I don't think I'm at my limit. I, I think there's I think there's more that I can do. Um, I have been, I have limited myself. I have limited myself by doing hard rock every year. And that's okay because I, hard rock is in my soul. Hard rock is, it's so, so much a part of who I am that I have not, I've not tried to do any other races in the summer that would conflict with hard rock. Um, they've changed the rules for the lottery and it's made it harder for me to get in in the future. And it wasn't just against me, but there's so many people that are trying to get in that they're making rule changes so that those of us that have done it a bunch are disadvantaged compared to people that are oh. trying to get in. And I understand that. I completely understand that. And I'm fine with that a little bit. It's part of me that's sad because sure. I know it means I might not do it. So, um, yeah, so there are some other races that, um, some longer races, uh, that I'm kind of interested in. Um, there's a new race. It's only been in its second year now, but it's, um, it's a 250 mile race called the Cocodona 250. Is it the one in um, Florida? No, no, now, um, no, this no, one's in I'm Arizona. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, this one's in Arizona. Cocodona 250 is in Arizona. Um, and it's put on by, uh, Aravipa running and it's a hard oh. rocker. Uh, Jamil Curry, uh, is a hard rocker that, um, that, that puts that race on. And I'm, I'm interested in that. Um, also, I mean, more than just races, uh, I live in the northernmost corner, uh, Northeast corner of Florida. And I have run the Keys hundred, which goes to Key West. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun wouldn't it be fun to start where I live oh, in the wow. east corner of Florida and run <laughs> all the way down to the end of Florida? Oh my. Um, and I've got a, I've got a friend that's done it. And, uh, really? and so I, I thought, yeah, so I thought that would be really cool to do. So, um, there are definitely some, I, I think, I mean, that would test me, right? That's a lot. Yes. Yeah, I reckon. <laughs> um, so, so there are definitely some things that I am intrigued by and I'm interested in, but have not sought out because I was so, so married to hard rock. And that's mm -hmm. not going to change. I'm always, I'm always going to be in Silverton, Colorado and Uray, Colorado. The race starts and finishes in Silverton. It goes through Uray, but I'm always going to be in those mountains, hard rock weekend. I always, I mean, I, I, I've got to be there. It's, you know, mm -hmm. But, um, but there are definitely some other adventures that are longer and in some ways harder that I'd like to challenge myself to that maybe if I don't get into hard rock, this will give me the opportunity to explore. I love that. Well, I just want to say a huge thanks again for coming out and talking to us. It's been a huge pleasure and honor. I have been looking forward to this for a while and I know all of us have been as well. So thank you so much for this and the amazing journey that you've been doing. I'm just so astonished and I can't wait to see what you do next. Well, thank you very much. I can't wait to see what you do next. And all <laughs> of you I have, I have really, really enjoyed this podcast and all of you folks. And um, thank you so much for all that you have done to encourage people to, uh, to join customized training um, and just to shine a light on the Disney races and the fun community that, that we have there. And whether it's training for their first 5k or training for the springtime challenge or for crying out loud, training for dopey. 
um, just encouraging people to have fun achieving new goals. Outstanding. Chris, thanks. Our pleasure. Hey, we'll talk to you again in a, it won't be that long, just before wine and dine. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Want to help some folks get ready for that race. All right, my friend. Thank you very much. I didn't ask Chris this question, and I did that deliberately. There's a quote I attribute to him, and if it's not his, I don't want to know about it. I just want to continue to attribute this to Chris. And that is, I've heard him say, if you only do things you know you can do, how will you ever know what you can do? That's what hard rock is, I think. And that's what dopey is. And that's what maybe a 5K is. And if it's something that's outside your comfort zone, something you're not sure you can do, that's the real challenge. And that's the real rewards. And I think that's what's just absolutely amazing about what Chris and the other finishers, of course, do at hard rock. Always a good time talking with him, and we appreciate Chris spending the time with us. Okay, friends, it's time for the race report. Let's do something just a little bit different here. The uh, the race report, wonderful. I love the way you guys are uh, listing your races, and I love the way you're reporting about them in Facebook and Instagram. So we've got a whole lot of information, but what's happening is it's getting a little bit long. So instead of highlighting what happened over last week and what's happening next week, let's just talk about the races that have completed. And I'll continue to talk about what's coming up on the Facebook group pages. So they'll still be in there. You'll still be able to see where your friends are running. So with that in mind, let's take a look. Here's one that has been over for a while. The uh, hot summer night 5k in Rochester, New York, that occurred a week ago, Wednesday, our friends Brian and Karen did that one. Uh, they did great. Uh, Brian came in under 30 minutes. It's Apparently, that's a series of runs up in the New York area. And it was a great night for running, I'm told, along the Genesee River Trail. The Hot Hat Chili 10K in South Lake, Texas. Jason finished that one. His best 10K time in years on a very hot day. Jason said they had the best post-race breakfast ever with a green chili quiche and green chili cheddar biscuits. He sent us some photos, and they looked pretty darn good. Out in Roswell, Georgia, the Area 13.1 out of this world run. We had two runners. Lauren did the 10K. Matt did the half. Didn't hear from Matt, but I did hear from Lauren. Lauren sent some really neat photos. She moved up from the 5K in prior years, uh, Lauren had photos of the the Alienware uh, goggles she had. Looked really great. Nicely done. Uh, Jennifer did the Jump Off Joe 10K in Kennewick, Washington. Golly, the photos on that, I don't know if you saw them or not. What a, it was a pretty desolate area. Pretty rough. Small run. Uh, it looked challenging. She said it was uphill and into the wind till they turned around and when they turned around you had full sun there was no shade there anywhere that looked like a that looked like a challenge but jennifer knocked it out on sunday in edmonton alberta canada the edmonton half marathon tanya finished that one put some nice photos up she's training for goofy 
the Aloha Run in Long Beach, California. Our friend Ruth did that one. Ruth ran with her son, who is a D1 sprinter, so he was just kind of jogging along. But they did great. Uh, Ruth finished third in her age group, third out of 51 people with a time of under 28 minutes. That's really good. That's awesome. And Yeah, that's excellent. And, oh, by the way, Ruth, I'm really sorry on the race report spotlight a couple weeks ago that you got upstaged by a bear. I felt bad, but, you know, but it was a bear. Here's one I may not pronounce correctly. I'm going to say this is the Helvetia Wine Run in Hillsboro, Oregon. Sarah did that one, her first 5K in decades, she says. It was hilly but good, and she's getting ready for Princess. And then finally on Sunday, in the thriving metropolis of Spearfish, South Dakota, our good friend Mandy ran the leading ladies marathon, and we are fortunate tonight. Mandy's with us in the race report spotlight. Hiya, Mandy. It's good to see you. How you doing? Hi, Bob. It's great to be here and nice to be uh, revisiting the Rise yeah. podcast. Yeah. If you're a really faithful listener, you may know that Mandy was in episode three when she recounted her run at the Boston Marathon in, was that late 21? 21. I ran Boston in 21, and then my qualifying time was good enough uh, to be a a double dunk. I got to go back in 2022. Yeah. Um, 21 was a dismal effort. I was injured going in. 2022 was a very, very nice marathon for me. And yeah, you did great. I remember really good. You're one of the people that I follow the dots. You know what I mean? I I log in and I I track you out and uh, I'm following the dots and I'm cheering for dots. It's very exciting at the house when that happens. I I can, uh, I can feel you, Bob. Oh, it was a good run, Mandy. You did great. And you did well in this one. We'll get to it in a second. I, I, again, Mandy was on earlier. You may have heard it. If not, head on back to episode three. You can listen to that one. She was our first ever guest from outside the gang. And she referred to us as a baby podcast, which I didn't take any offense to, but I've never forgotten. <laughs> well, you're not a baby podcast anymore. You guys- Not anymore. We've gotten a little bigger. Um, hey, I know the answer to this, but I ask it of everyone. When did you get started? How did you get started running, Mandy? Uh, I was a high school runner, was very uh, involved in track and field during my prep days. Um, I had a scholarship to track and to run track and field at a division three school in Ohio. Um, I had a little bit too much fun in college and decided maybe that wasn't a great career path for me. Um, I then lost sight of running for a while, but in my um, early forties, I came right back around to running and, and here I am. I've got uh, eight marathons under my belt at this point and I'm, I'm loving every second of it. You've done really well. You, you, your comments reminded me of my D3 basketball career. We're in the middle of the season. My coach said to me, Rikely, you're great out there on the court. If only you had any talent, you'd be tremendous. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I was lacking. But you, my friend, you, you've done very well here in running. Um, we, we mentioned Boston. Listeners can go back and listen to the recap of the 2020. We didn't talk to you about 21, but you nailed that one in – you broke 3.30 on that one, didn't you? Yeah, uh, it was 2022 this year. Okay, and, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah. And I did, and and that's a bear of a course. 
Um, and I did, I ran 3.30 or 3.29.30. And I was elated when I crossed and look at my, looked at my watch at the finish. But that, that course is no joke. It's just a brutal uh, heartbreak hill. It kind of looks like a ski ramp. If you just look at it, not anything special, but at mile 19 and a half to 20, it's a, it's a bear to, to climb. Um, so that is a very challenging course. And I was happy to run uh, so well on that course. Well, I think that's a great accomplishment. Let's talk a bit about the one you just did, uh, leading ladies in Spearfish. Tell us about the event. What was the course like? How did it go? Um, first of all, if, if any of you, and I know we're all Disney fanatics here and we love to spend our vacation money in Florida, but if any of you have not been to the Black Hills of South Dakota, it is a, it is a beautiful place up here. Um, there's a lot of things to do. And that's one of the biggest reasons why I, I have found the leading ladies marathon and, and picked it as one, um, of the marathons that I like to return to a lot. It's a small marathon. There was, I think, 89 finishers, if I'm, if I'm correct. Okay. Okay. Um, in the marathon, it starts in Lead, South Dakota, and it's all downhill from Lead to the Spear, through the Spearfish Canyon. It uh, meanders along a very nice blacktop road. It's all live traffic. So it's not a closed course. You oh. have to, you have run against motorcycles. You there's all kinds of traffic on there, but it is on Sunday morning, uh, pretty pretty laid back. It's uh, in the 50s at the start. No wind. Weather's beautiful. It was probably 82 degrees with no humidity at the base um, of the mountain when we came down. So it was it was only hot for the last three miles. The rest of it, you're pretty well shaded by the canyon. You run beside Spearfish Creek the entire time that cuts down that mountain from lead to Spearfish. And if you run with no music, you can hear that creek a lot. And it's very tranquil and it's very beautiful. You're just, you're encased in nature and it's, it's a wonderful thing. Now, mile one is uphill. It, uh, it feels pretty tough. Your legs are pretty tired on mile one. Once you hit that downhill, you're downhill to mile 11, which then is an uphill to a little turnaround called Roughneck Falls. It's on gravel. Then you're back down to the asphalt again, and you are the rest of the miles to 26.2 is all blacktop asphalt that meanders around. You, you did some big time negative splits on this when I was looking at your times, your, your pace per mile at the halfway was 811 but your pace overall at a 330 flat for this thing was 801 so you must have really smoked that second half it it was 801 um and yeah the second half i actually felt like the second half i didn't run as strong um in all honesty i kept telling myself this is a training run i want to make sure that i save my my legs for um for chicago and I just kind of held back and, and I honestly stopped and used the bathroom. I stopped and got Vaseline. I walked a couple of times cause my husband crewed me. Um, and he met me every two miles. We had a little four wheeler. It's like I said, it's an open course. Um, you can just kind of come through there and, and, 
and he gave me water, whatever I needed. There were good aid stations every two miles. Um, it was just a really nice, really nice run for me. And I had no stress. So I ran really well in the second half and, and in all honesty, took it easier than what I should have. And then when I got to the bottom, I thought, oh, doggone it. Here I am running 330 flat. And if I hadn't have stopped and went to the bathroom, got Vaseline and walked with my husband a little bit, I would have broke my PR. So ah, save that I was for Chicago. disappointed on that, but, but it was a very, very nice run. Save that for Chicago. Shout out to Ed, by the way. Hey, Ed, way to go. Good job, buddy. I, yeah. I, haven't, seen him. I haven't seen him for a while either. He, uh, uh, I actually, he's supposed to be right here with me, but I have no idea where he's at. I'm sure he's behaving himself. Um, a <laughs> hey, great run, Mandy, a uh, tough field. Golly. I looked, the uh, overall winner was in your age group. Uh, but still three thirty flat. That's, that's really impressive. Great. Job. Yeah. Um, I, I would love to talk about the field a little bit. I'll tell you what, there were some tough ladies in this deal. And, and this was always one of those marathons. that was an all women's marathon for years, years and years. And then they added the men in because it is a Boston qualifier. Um, so that's the big thing about the leading ladies is it's downhill. It's great weather. It's a Boston qualifier, and there's a lot of women that run it. It's very few men. Um, so any of the ladies out there that that like to have a all-women's field, it's a very woman-forward marathon. Um, and the gal that won it, actually, uh, she won the overall marathon in 259, I believe. Yeah, yeah just under three, yeah. Um, so, and they start the men after us 30 minutes and I only saw two men the whole entire time that I ran. There were two, two gentlemen that passed me. Um, other than that, totally run with women. And I, like I said, in my Facebook post, I usually make the podium. I was sixth in my age group. That's how deep the field was. Yeah. It's just, that's a strong field. It sure um, is was and it was I kept thinking my gosh I'm I'm back here in 12th 13th place and I'm usually in these smaller marathons I can kind of dig myself up into the top 10 pretty easy and I kept thinking man am I not running fast kept looking at my watch no I'm I was running really really well it was just that tough no you did a great job in a tough field you got Chicago coming up next right Chicago's next yes sir now Larry you'll You'll kick tail on that one, too. I have every confidence in you. I know you're not going to be at Disney this January. I, I know you are a Disney runner. Uh, I've seen you down there. That's that's how come we know one another. Any Disney runs in your future? Um, I sure hope so. Uh, there's a there's a certain air of, you know, I suppose not to be cliche of magic on running the Disney marathons. Uh it's just a fabulous place to run and, and it's just a good atmosphere, very friendly for first time marathon runners. So uh, yes, that's yes. where I cut my teeth and, and Disney will always be one of those special places. Good deal. Well, Mandy, as always, thank you for your time. We appreciate the visit. Great to have you back and good luck to you. All right. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate you asking me to be on. Thanks, Mandy. We appreciate you spending the time. Uh, since we're not talking about next week, let me take a second and remind folks how to get into the race report. Just make sure that you go into one of the Facebook groups, put the race that you've got upcoming in there, 
and let us know about it. And we will, I usually try to get in touch with people two or three weeks out and you can be a part of, you can be a part of the race report. And if you're going to be part of the race report spotlight, I try and get in touch with those folks early. Uh, no Zoom this Thursday. Our next Zoom will be September 1st. I had a good one last week. It was pretty lively. I was at Walt Disney World. I opened it up on my phone as I was driving out of the Epcot parking lot. And you guys were still going when I pulled into my driveway an hour and a half later. So thanks for helping me drive home. I appreciate it. John, thanks for doing that. You, you helped to get me home. That's great. I know I've done that before, too, with uh, phone calls. So those rides... Makes it fly through. Yeah, it was good. My friends, that's it. That's it for this week's episode. Keep logging those training miles. Keep posting them and telling us about them. We're proud of what you're doing. We know it's not easy, but we know it's going to pay off for you. My friends, and if you run, you are our friends. That's it for the evening. Looking forward to talking with you next week. Until then, happy running. The Rise and Run podcast discusses general information about Run Disney and is in no way affiliated with Run Disney or the Walt Disney Company. Any information or advice discussed on this podcast should not be considered medical advice and should always consult with your healthcare provider or event organizer.